Have you ever felt in your relationship like you go from I can do no wrong to I can't do a damn thing right? There are a number of reasons why you may experience this. In today's episode, I'm going to deconstruct how gaslighting plays a part in one such reason, the experience of hoovering. I'm Sarah Morales, the host of this podcast. At the time of this recording, I'm in the middle of launching some exciting new things. I'd be pumped for you to check them out on my website, and I'll put a link in the show notes for you. My guest today is Mary. Mary is a graduate student on her way to earning a PhD in history. In addition to learning about history, she enjoys hiking, traveling, watching old movies, listening to vinyl records, and drinking beer. Mary lives in New Jersey with her wife, Amber, and cat, Cricket Joe. It's such a great name for a cat. Thanks for being on my podcast today, Mary. Oh, thanks for having me. Awesome, awesome. Okay, so I want to take a moment to say to my listeners that today's episode is one of the more heavy ones that I've done so far, and that is because Mary's experience reflects one that is higher, in my opinion, on the scale of abuse, controlling, and undermining behaviors by her gaslighter. So, dear listeners, be mindful as you listen today. These are important things to talk about. I'm so thankful that Mary has been brave enough to come on and talk about her story. We need to expose these things for what they are, and I want to help many, many people feel less isolated in their experiences. At the same time, it can be hard to listen to and hold things sometimes. So make sure you're caring for yourself as you listen today and hold space for Mary and her story. You'll see the heavy right away as we get into the word of the day. And the word of the day is hoovering. Now, hoovering is something that is done when a person, typically a narcissist, so I am not one to throw that label on everybody, but there are narcissists out there, and typically a narcissist, if a source of supply pulls away or tries to go no contact, the narcissist may attempt to hoover, as in, you know, those old vacuum cleaners, a, a hoover vacuum. They're going to try to suck them back in within his or her realm of control. Gaslighting behaviors are almost always a part of this dynamic, which is why we're talking about it today. One way that we can see this played out is in a family of origin context where there's a fluctuation between being treated as the golden child and the scapegoat. Mary's story is a clear and profound example of this dynamic. So Mary, you, dear woman, have been through a lot, a lot Um, And I would love if you could just for a moment set the stage for my listeners so they can see the dynamic of this extreme fluctuation that you experienced between being the golden child and the scapegoat. So will you begin by sharing with my listeners a little bit about your childhood? Sure, Sarah. Thank you. Gosh, I feel Mm. so validated. Um, (laughs) (laughs) So, so yeah, when I was nine, my parents got divorced and my mom had full parental rights. I visited my dad at times, but I lived with my mom and um, I was really the golden child. I have three older siblings and I was really treated as extremely special to my mom. Um, They're Mm. quite a bit older and the closest is 10 and then the, uh, the farthest is 15. And Um, There's the whole origin story. Just to make a long story short, I was when I was born, my mom told me that God had told her that I was the child of promise and Mm. that God 
gave me to her to save her life Mm -hmm. and that I was to be a little Samuel um, raised up in a wicked world and to be this special Christian. Um, I was raised in a very conservative religious family and um, my mom, you know, really, really bonded to me in a way that she didn't with my other siblings from what I understand. Mm. And, um, you know, it was definitely very meshed and uh, codependent, um, but it was really positive in the sense that I was just this amazing, sure. just amazing, you know, and it, it, come to find out later, as you referenced in the introduction, you know, she has actually been diagnosed with narcissistic personality, personality mm-hmm. disorder. And as a part of that, it was like, I really was a reflection of how amazing she was. And so there mm-hmm. was really a connection there. And so, um, you know, it's amazing that I didn't become a complete jerk because it was so obvious that I was <laughs> right? like, treated as mm-hmm. special and, you know, mm-hmm. this different. Um, so, you know, so that was kind of my experience with with growing up and with my mom um up until really the end of high school and so mm-hmm. uh, you know I, I i went to uh public school and then i did private school private christian school and homeschooling mm-hmm. and um so yeah you know there was some like isolating i wasn't allowed to be close to my siblings and okay. there was a lot of demonizing of my father um which is kind of probably its own you know separate story yeah uh, another time but um you know really extreme <laughs> like villainizing of him as this mm. really bad man which mm-hmm. kind of got into some of the spiritual abuse that i experienced later which was that um you know there were these for those i don't know if listeners might be familiar with the phrase generational bondages but there mm. were like these, these generational ties you know mm-hmm. for my dad's um, failings and his, his like, uh, moral faults, et cetera, his spiritual issues that were like passed down into the children. And this was something that mm-hmm. when I got out of high school, my mom, um, began to think that she began to articulate to me that I had these really serious problems. And so it was just this really, um, you know, sharp distinction between being the golden child and then kind mm-hmm. of, uh, about a year's time, it just really flipped to being the scapegoat. Yeah where okay. I was, yeah. Um, so when, when you and I were talking offline, you, um, you said your mom referred to herself as, um, as something kind of really special. And for me, I make up a lot of my listeners will know a lot of the verbiage. Um, and as far as some of the Christian things, right. Some of the, the, yeah. the words are Christianese is, is <laughs> what we called it, you know, kind of growing up. Um, and so to me, this title that your mom gave herself really mm-hmm. put her as someone that you couldn't question. Um, will you share with my listeners what that was? Yeah. She felt that she was a prophet and she had the spiritual gift of prophecy and mm-hmm. that, um, God had given her abilities 10 times greater in speaking, teaching, and advising, which, which was okay. her language. And so uh-huh. she just had, you know, this, this gift of um, like discernment and insight and authority that, you know, functioned within the church, within our family. Mm-hmm. And like you said, you know, just experienced an extreme level of certitude where it was just, yeah. she was just certain. It wouldn't matter if everybody in the world was telling her, you know, this isn't healthy or this isn't normal. And I experienced that in my adult, Mm -hmm. you know, up in in my twenties when I would try to Mm -hmm. appeal to her and explain, you know, why something wasn't, um, wasn't normal for me to be in this, this type of dynamic. And she was just extremely certain. And so that was part of the prophet. It was like a whole 
spiritual thing that she's like, you know, I didn't, I didn't ask for this. I didn't want this. Mm -hmm. No, God, this is kind of like a cross I have to bear. It's a burden to have this sort of responsibility and insight, but I have to lean into it. And, you know, it's (sighs) for me. She called it the profit chip. Mm -hmm. And um, so, yeah, that was, that was like pretty instrumental. Hmm. Yeah. I mean, who are you to question someone who has that type of authority? Exactly. Right? Yeah. I mean, like a direct, it's like, you know, you know, <laughs> I'm thinking like, you know, um, in the old school Batman TV show, there would be like yeah, a yeah. special phone that Commissioner yeah. Gordon would have or like it was a direct line of communication with Batman. And they yes. would like it would like be this red phone that would like light up and ring. It's That's what I'm picturing. Right. It's like a direct yeah you know, lying to God and, exactly. and vice versa. Right. And who are you to question yeah. that? Right. Exactly. And, and I, you know, yeah. wanted very much to have like a relationship with God and I wanted to be a faithful sure. Christian and I want to be on fire for God. So like mm-hmm. spiritual manipulation and abuse was just really mm-hmm. uh, pervasive because, you know, it was playing on, um, uh, my mom played on my genuine desire to to both like love her and be a good daughter and to be a good Christian and to be a good, mm-hmm. like in the, you know, at the time I would have said like daughter of Christ. And, right. and so, um, right. yeah, it was unfortunate how the spiritual got really enmeshed with the narcissism and the abuse and, um, which is, you know, really insidious. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. It's, it's one of my, one of my, I have many podiums that I like to get on <laughs> and talk <laughs> about things. And one of them, it, it's not, it's not necessarily the precepts of faith. I'm talking about the, the establishments around mm. religion that are so controlling. It mm-hmm. really, it's like, no wonder us as Americans are so um, susceptible <laughs> to gaslighting is because of mm. the, the religious construct. Okay. Mm-hmm. Not faith. Not going to tell anybody to not have their faith. Whatever, have your faith. <laughs> I'm yeah. talking about the the way that many of us were raised. I know I was raised like this too. That you're only allowed to question to a, stir- a certain extent, sure. and after that, you're not really allowed to question because the word of God right. is infallible, and you right. know all of these different things. So, who are you to question it? Correct. Yeah. Submission is so huge. You need to learn to like submit to the word of God and submit to your pastor, submit to the elders, submit to those that are older than you and submit to you into my mother. And it's like emphasis on submission. Like you say, you know, if they're taken to the extreme, there's just no room really for like self-expression or for questioning. Um, Not, it doesn't always manifest that way in in religious circles, but it's certainly used. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I think yours is a good case of that. So about the time you would have gone off to college, your mom convinced you to stay home and work full time to support her. I don't think my listeners quite got that part of the story yet, but I want to help my listeners connect some dots. So if I understand correctly, the way she did this was during that kind of year where things flipped, I think that, if I, again, if I understand your story correctly, that's when she started saying things like, you're no longer the golden child. I can see how messed up you are. You know, all of those things you were talking about, about the generational bondages, um, lots of lies about your dad, um, that you had to stay with her because she was the one that was going to deliver you from these generational bondages. Mm-hmm. I know in the, in the time that we spent together uh, offline, you talked about, you know, atheism, rebellion, self-pity, basically uh-huh. any bad trait. It was her job 
she was basically going to be your savior yeah. kind of right. Like right. There's Jesus. And then your mm-hmm. mom's going to help you <laughs> like yeah. Jesus mom. <laughs> like, right. Mm-hmm. Um, is, uh, do you think that that's, those are the types of messages that caused you to not follow the path of going off to college? Cause ultimately that's where you ended. So I make up that's what you wanted, but she yeah. convinced you to not do that. Right. Exactly. Um, yeah, it, it, uh, those were a lot of the, uh, things that she said that got me to, to take the path that I did. Um, in a way it's embarrassing, um, to look back on and to talk about. And it's also, mm. um, it's, it's, uh, it's such a hard question in a sense, because, you know, you'd think that, you know, you're an adult and you're mm-hmm. an intelligent person. How would you mm-hmm. ever do it. But like you're saying, mm-hmm. there was definitely messages of, um, I was uniquely messed up and, and she had the right. key. She right. having come out of this, like in her words, you know, this really awful marriage with like this really, you know, demonic spiritual warfare going on and all these bad, mm-hmm. she had these insights as a prophet. She had the key, mm-hmm. um, to, to helping me be delivered from these, um, family traits and, um, and be able to like become a, you know, a, a fully integrated Christian or just be like on fire. Yeah. But also it was, it was, so it was like spiritual. It was like, I was messed up and she could help me, but it was also, I didn't in her words really know how to um, love. And so that mm-hmm. would be like a, like that would, that, that's sort of a quote that she said a lot. Yeah. Um, I didn't know how to connect. I didn't know how to be a friend. I didn't know how to, I certainly didn't know how to, you know, be in a romantic relationship. Um, I didn't know how to, I wouldn't be able to survive on my own. Um, and I didn't know how to, yeah, I just didn't know how to see people. I didn't know how to relate. I didn't know how yeah. to be comfortable. And these things weren't true looking back, Yeah. but, um, she just felt like she had never been loved in her life in general. And I had yet to really love her and mm-hmm. so not feel loved and come to find out, you know, I, I didn't know that at all. I didn't even know what narcissist really was in my early right. 20s. And I had no idea that she was one. And so I feel kind of resentful in a sense mm-hmm. when I did find out because that would have opened mm-hmm. so many doors. Um, and sure. and it is such understanding because, you know, she was like, I was, I was hurling myself at the mm-hmm. volcano. It was my mom, like <laughs> mm-hmm. in terms of giving her verbal affirmation and like my time and my mm-hmm. money and you know, this, like you're saying, financial support and, mm-hmm. spend, you know, doing things with her and investing in her and so tremendously because I really did love my mom and I really do love my mom. But what I didn't yeah. know is the narcissist, it, it's almost just like a bucket where it's like you, you pour the water in and it just kind of goes out the bottom. Yeah. And so I just spent my, you know, my, my early to mid twenties, just trying to make her feel loved. I just, it was yeah. so distressing to be told that she didn't feel like I was loving her. And while I always questioned the things that you shared that, you know, repeating what I had said and the things I just shared, I always kind of mm-hmm. questioned, like it stuff didn't feel quite right. Like you're saying the gaslighting when you, when it's said yeah. enough with such certitude and nothing you say yep. makes them question it, you really start to question yourself. And so yep. it's like that voice. Well, I guess, I guess I am like, I guess I am like, I don't not able mm-hmm. to connect. I guess I don't mm-hmm. know how to like, show love and I, I need to learn. And so, you know, and I guess I don't like have a close relationship with Jesus and I, I want that. And right. Right. you're just, you know, questioning yourself all the time. Right. 
Right. And I think to me, again, why for me, this is your story is one of the more controlling stories that I've come across. And I mean, almost 10 years. I've, I've seen some pretty controlling things, right? <laughs> and this is, this is ranks up there. I just want you mm-hmm. to know that like you have mm-hmm. nothing to be ashamed of. Mm-hmm. Um, you'll see when I get into the deconstruction zone that it was a surviving m- survival mechanism, mm-hmm. right? Like you had to learn how to survive in this environment Yeah, and you were a child. Right. So um, of course, of course you mm-hmm. did what you had to do to survive. But what I want to uh, help again with my with my listeners to connect some dots, there was this dynamic where because she was your mom and had this kind of influence over you, she was able to control the situation in such a way that it basically reinforced those messages, mm. right? So, so what I mean by that is you described to me this time. This season, your your what would have been your college age years, mm-hmm. um, and what it was like, and the extreme type of control mm-hmm. and isolation that she imposed upon you. Yeah. So, of course, you're going to feel like you aren't ready to be in an intimate partnership. You mm-hmm. you weren't allowed to have a relationship mm-hmm. with anybody. Mm-hmm. Right? Will Will you share with my listeners just a snippet of? The, the types of things that you are not allowed to do during this time? Yeah, definitely. Um, so, yeah, I mean, really from 18 to like 26-ish, um, you know, I didn't have control over my food, um, what I ate, what I bought at the grocery store, though for much of that time it was my mm-hmm. money, as you referred mm-hmm. to, Sarah, you know, supporting my right. mom. And, um, and, you know, so she was in charge of the grocery cart. Um, she was in charge of the television, what we watched. Uh, movies, um, really, really extreme control, like in terms of, you know, the Christian standard of what is acceptable um, content, you know, really, really strict and like music, books, um, friendships, family relationships, Mm -hmm. you know, really suspicious. She would, her needs were so great that Mm -hmm. um, really any, but me giving or being close to anyone else felt like an extreme threat. And Mm -hmm. so it was, you know, she isolated me from my siblings, for instance, with like a lot of negative talk about them as well as my dad and, um, uh, who, who had actually, I I should add passed away when I was 15. So I didn't Mm. even have him in my life as somebody that I (sighs) knew when, when, you know, in my mid twenties or some point I I had had him, you know, there's the potential that that would have really helped me to get out. Yeah. But, um, yeah. So, so, but my siblings, you know, like if I, for instance, like if I spent uh, like if I was out with them in the pool, just the two of us, mm-hmm. you know, with me and one mm-hmm. of my siblings, her, it's like her alarm bells would go off and she'd be like, mm-hmm. Mary, you got to mm-hmm. come in. You know, she, she didn't want me mm-hmm. alone with no. people. And so like Christian youth groups, you know, were, were very like, she didn't really want me to go to them. Um, Which is odd. Want- yeah, right? exactly. Like, I think you and I talked about how, um, you know, a little bit later, I'm, I'm like, not foreshadowing what's the word I'm, I'm getting ahead of myself a little bit, but you know, you talked about when you finally did start to, to push back and you went to a Christian college and your mom was upset, right? Like um, it's yeah, like things exactly. that typically within the Christian world, parents would be happy that their kids are mm-hmm. doing right. Like your mom didn't. And again, mm-hmm. I want to highlight this because when someone doesn't want their quote unquote victim 
to be exposed to other people who might help them see the truth of their situation, they're going to isolate them. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Right. Yes. She was afraid that people would. And at times people did see that this yeah. was unhealthy. They certainly did. And I remember people coming to me um, with, you know, kind of people usually wouldn't be outright like, oh, your mom is, you know, doing most people didn't know because I was so loyal. People didn't know right. but they could just see snippets. And they would come to me. And then in that interaction, I would feel that need to be loyal and like, oh, everything's Mm -hmm. fine. Everything's fine. Mm -hmm. But, Mm -hmm. you know, and additional things that she controlled, if adding a few more, you know, she controlled my bedtime. And so I'm like Mm -hmm. in my, like I'm 22 or something. And my mom set my bedtime at like, and and, you know, it's so traumatic. It was like eight. And then, and then I got it bumped to 830 and I was so excited when it was 8.30. Yeah. And so, and then, you know, then I wake up at six, um, in the morning, but, you know, controlling my medical, like, uh, whether it was acne medication or anything to do with health hygiene, um, controlling Mm -hmm. my clothes anyway, you can, et cetera, et cetera. You can imagine, I mean, I don't need to list them all, but every area was controlled by her. Um, yeah. And, you know, so that was pretty just oppressive to say the least. Yeah. And, you know, (laughs) I imagine there are going to be two groups of people that are listening to this podcast. There are those who are like me and they'll be like, Oh my God. Like I can, even though my mom wasn't like this, like I, I can, I can understand some of the dynamics, especially because the religious component that mm-hmm. is, that is enmeshed in this situation for you. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you used a phrase when we were talking about how everything was monitored and spiritualized. So mm-hmm. I didn't necessarily experience the monitored thing from in my family of origin. I did experience everything was spiritualized again, mm-hmm. not necessarily from my family of origin, but because of the religion that I grew up in everything was spiritualized. Right. And so you had both of those things. Yeah. Right. Um, and so those who can relate are going to be like, yep, I get it. (laughs) Right. (laughs) And those who didn't grow up on that are going to be like, how come she didn't push back? Right. And I, I get it. I get Mm -hmm. it. And, and what made me really, really get it was when you told me, this is actually going to be the title y'all. So (laughs) there's always a moment when I'm talking with somebody, when I'm like, Oh my God, that's gotta be the title. Um, you, you, when, when you would push back and when you, as you're like early 20 something, um, would, would say like, mom, this isn't, this isn't normal. Yeah. Right. Like she had a response that pretty much shut down your, your kind of like pushback mm-hmm. for, for at least for a good, good while, right? Mm-hmm. Like things were so hard. Well, this is the reason why it's so hard. This is the why, you know, this is the reason why it's so extreme. Yes. We're different than, mm-hmm. you know, other parents, uh, you know, mom and daughters out there mm-hmm. because they're in the world and you mm-hmm. dear right. golden child, here's that golden child scapegoat <laughs> thing. You dear golden <clears throat> child are what, what does she tell you? Yeah. So she said that, um, as a prophet, she was mentoring me and I was mm-hmm. being mentored to be a green beret Christian. So, yeah. um, I was in a green beret training program mm-hmm. and, um, to be an elite Christian warrior, you know, like mm-hmm. I mentioned earlier, a little Samuel, for those who know the Bible, a little Samuel raised up in a yeah. wicked world. Like basically like there's this remnant, even in the church, mm-hmm. there's only like she would talk about how, you know, a very small percentage of people who go to church regularly are even saved. And, you yeah. know, and, 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 and of course she had insight into who those really were, but, yeah. um, but yeah, it's like, yeah, it's hard. Yeah. It's, um, you know, unusual and might seem strange mm-hmm. to other people, but 
uh, it doesn't matter what the world thinks. That's just, you mm-hmm. know, the enemy's way. And um, yep. sure I'm going to be brave enough to be sort of countercultural and like do the right thing despite other people's judgment. And despite you, like, yeah. you know, harassing me by like giving me pushback yeah. and like, being so rebellious and being so difficult because I'm like, yeah. giving you trouble. But like, I'm going to, I love you enough and I love God enough to, to do the yeah. hard work of making you a Green Beret Christian. Yeah. So again, for those of my listeners who who maybe don't understand this context, um, I just want to share a little bit here uh, and name this as coercion, right? Which some uh, some some churches, some denominations, some some things out there are really good at it. <laughs> right? mm-hmm. like, like you said, some not so much. You can find a church that you're not going to experience coercion at. You can mm-hmm. absolutely, and if you are, we need to name it. Right. So for me, when I'm mostly, this is unscripted too, <laughs> this is like inspired by the moment. When, when I usually talk about coercion in the context of gaslighting, I am usually talking about, you know, we, we feel like we have to do something or have to agree or have to feel a certain way in order to have approval for somebody, right? Which I do see this, but I also want to name that in, in the, the spiritualization Mm -hmm. aspect of, of your story, I believe the coercion is more about fear, Mm -hmm. right? Um, it's fear of rejection by God. It's fear of going to hell. It's fear Mm -hmm. of being one of those Christians that aren't actually saved, right? Mm -hmm. Like all of the, there's so much fear. Like I remember I'm dating myself a little bit and I I make up, I'm, I'm so curious if any of my listeners will have gone through this too. But um, I grew up in a denomination that believes in the rapture. Um, mm-hmm. Some of you may know what that means. Some of you may not. <laughs> For those of you who don't, Google it. Um, but I grew up in a church that believed in that. And we would watch these movies. So um, this is like in the mid 80s, probably. We watched these movies that were filmed probably in the 60s. <laughs> and mm-hmm. they were about the rapture, mm-hmm. right? these things were scary as fuck. Mm. Like they were so scary. Like people were beheaded in these movies. Oh yeah. Thief in the night. Yeah. So you watched them too. <laughs> yes. Mm-hmm. Yep. <laughs> I'm not, even though I, I wasn't alive when they came out. I, yeah, I right. definitely did. Right. Like, like it was, it's to me, it was just like propaganda to make mm-hmm. little kids like terrified. Like there's this whole scene, like this whole part of the thing where this girl is like learning about the rapture and she at church and she comes home and her sister like had been cooking or something like that. Mm-hmm. And then something happened and the the dog was like barking or whatever. And so the sister left, I think it was a sister, left um, something on the stove, like some butter cooking or I can't remember exactly what it was. And the little girl walked in and saw like the pan abandoned there. And she freaked out because she thought that the rapture mm-hmm. had happened and she was quote unquote left behind. Mm-hmm. Right. So, um, fear, like there was so much fear, right? Mm. If you don't do things right, you're not going to be, you know, approved or, you know, kicked out of the green beret program or, you know, whatever it is. So there, Mm -hmm. there is this coercion that you're immersed in as a person growing up in that kind of a culture. And then yours was exacerbated because it wasn't just in your church. Like for me, it was just in my church. So when I went home, I didn't experience that kind of coercion from my parents. Mm-hmm. You had it at home mm-hmm. too, right? Yeah. So again, like, 
I just want to connect some dots for my, for my listeners and also just to validate you. Like you have um, nothing to be ashamed of, darling. Like yeah. good night. Like you right. had it everywhere, like 24 seven. Yeah, it's true. It's true. Yeah. yeah. I appreciate that. Yeah. So the good news is you're able to reach out to me, right? Because yeah. you got out, you mm-hmm. got, you, you started to be able to see that things were not okay, that this mm-hmm. was not healthy. Um, and so if you could share a little bit, I know you don't necessarily remember a lot of the specifics, but, um, you know, there were some key things, again, I'm wanting to help my listeners that might be in similar places, maybe with their intimate partner, maybe with their own mom, um, that were some, some key awarenesses mm-hmm. that y- where you started to be like, you know, no, like this is one that you told me like, no, it's, this isn't, this isn't normal. Like mm-hmm. this isn't what I see over and over and over again out there. Mm-hmm. Um, what are some of the other key awarenesses that kind of helped you yeah. wake up? Right. Yeah. Um, it, it is hard to recreate because it was a pretty traumatic time when I did break free. And so like you, like yeah. you alluded to, I don't remember some of the details, but I know that, I know that really the core, um, the core motivation for, for breaking free was, was a sense of despair. Um, yeah. I'm very much like a type A personality and was really driven by my love for my mom and a desire Mm -hmm. to love God. And Mm -hmm. I was willing to spend my twenties and who knows if I would have spent longer if I felt like it was attainable to make my mom feel loved and to be the kind of Christian and do the Christian things that were like these abstract kind of like free floating. It was obscure exactly. But what, what the, what the, what the goal was, I mean, like Mm -hmm. she referred to getting out of the cult, which was like, without going into too much detail, like with my dad, there was like this whole framework of like, there was this cult type spiritual thing going on and um, Mm -hmm. not literally a cult like people might think of, but that was just the language that she used. And so it was like, to make it scary. Yeah. To make it again, to make it scary. Yeah. Right. And I was supposed to get out of it. And so like mm-hmm. how I would get at the getting out of it. I mean, it still makes me anxious to think about now because mm-hmm. like I was trying so hard to be like, okay, like, so, so, so what are the steps I need to do? And I would like have all these yeah. journals and I would write, okay, so now I'm going to try this and I'm going to try mm-hmm. this. And I'm going to try this. I, 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 it must've been hundreds of different, like spiritual slash psychological slash like relational, you know, et cetera, like practices that I was going to do to like achieve this. And when it, when it, when it was like, no progress was ever made toward both feel loved and, and these, the spiritual breakthrough, like I just felt (laughs) despair. And like, I, it was like a matter of of survival. I felt it was like psychologically, like I felt like I was sort of dying in a sense, like I couldn't breathe. Like there's, it felt hopeless. And so Mm -hmm. if she had strung me along, like, you know, if it was, if she was just purely strategic, she would have like, given me a little bit of something, but she couldn't. And so, cause she was functioning on instinct, you know? And so, yeah. um, I just, yeah. So I, I felt, I felt like I just had to, it was like, I'm just searching for something and it's like a desperation, like, okay, I'm going to do the most desperate thing, which was like mm. totally taboo, totally off limit, which would be to conceive of not living with my mom because she yeah. had, she had framed that as like, like, um, 
you know, if, if I didn't live with her, like she would die, like she couldn't live. Yeah. I mean, like, and these are not exaggerations, like literal quotes is like, she right. couldn't live without me. And so, so to think, to think of that was the unthinkable, but I was mm-hmm. so desperate that I had to start thinking of it. And, and part of the way I thought of it was I had started to defy her more so. And like, I, 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 as you referenced, gone to this Christian college and I started to see like, okay, like there could be a, like a world where I'm not just like some like wicked hedonist that's rejected God, yeah. like I could like Golly. have a Christian life and like I could, but, but not live with my mom, not be under this abuse. And I started right. to tell people about, about what she was doing. And I started to get more feedback. I started to stop mm. like, protecting her and, uh, you know, cause I was just so fed up. And, mm-hmm. and then the other thing, just real quick, I should ma- mention that was super important was my sister, Rachel had, um, had, had, had broken free in her early twenties from some similar mm-hmm. types of abuse. And then she had like kind of not much to do with my mom. And then in, uh, later in her life, she started having real physical problems and my mom was available and, and through various mm-hmm. manipulations was able mm-hmm. to get my sister to kind of go back under this, mm-hmm. um, this green gray mentoring, like abusive thing. It, mm-hmm. It's hard for people to understand, but like just the, the coercion is so was really quite skillful. And, and yeah. so my sister went under it. Well, we started because she was in it. I felt like she was safe. She was like the only mm-hmm. safe person. And then mm-hmm. we started talking and we just both started to like slowly like question and talk on the phone. You know, my mom let mm-hmm. me talk to her because she thought Rachel was safe. But sure. then we on fabbing and we're like, wait, this doesn't. And so we just holding each mm-hmm. other's hands, we just like kind of over about two years, we just sort of like walked out together mm-hmm. and we're like, no more, never again. Mm-hmm. Like we started mm-hmm. to put the pieces together and do the work about narcissism and about spiritual abuse. My sister mm-hmm. knows so much about spiritual abuse and we just helped each other break free. So, I mean, if I didn't have my sister, we both tell each other, like if we didn't have yeah. each other, you know, yeah. who knows what it would look like. We just having another person because like gaslighting, mm-hmm. you know, as you know, so well, like if you feel like you're crazy, mm-hmm. like that's fundamental yep. to it is you're being yep. convinced that you are crazy. Like your own instincts and your own gut are yep. wrong. Yep. And this other person, what they're telling you is actually the truth. And so if we didn't have yep. someone else that was like, no, I lived that. And what you're saying yep. is true. You're not making it up. No, yep. mom really is doing those things and that's not right. And that just made all the difference. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. It's actually something is I feel like you, you jumped ahead to my set your alarm because <laughs> that's, <laughs> that's a big part of what I put. And so th- thank you because you just oh, kind of like, you know, shared about that already. Um, so thank you for sharing that. I think those are some powerful things, right? Like not everybody is going to feel like they've experienced this level, but for those who have, or currently are in the middle of it, this is going to be like a lifeline to them. Mm-hmm. So thank you for being so vulnerable and sharing all these things. I'd love to go ahead and take this into the deconstruction zone again, because for me, being able to name things helps us stand in our knowing and grounded in the truth of, yes, this is what this is because I can actually name it, right? Kind of a thing. Mm-hmm. So for me, one thing that I actually wanted to point out in this like, you know, vacillating between um, uh, golden child and the scapegoat, right, is that as a child, I believe, um, well, let me back up. 
for um for the the whole or the entirety of what you experienced until you left to me there were four things that i i pulled out and mm-hmm. one of them was actually love bombing which i'm going to unpack here in a minute um and then the other three were undermining coercion and and mind games okay so how i would unpack that is the love bombing is what happens whenever it was the golden child thing now when people typically think of love bombing they think of gifts they think of romantic gestures cuz they're usually thinking intimate partner they're thinking vacations but there's this dynamic of love bombing that is more about putting people on a pedestal right that's that you, they can do no wrong kind of thing right so um it's a little bit lesser known when it comes to love bombing but what that does when someone is constantly put on a pedestal there's a pressure to stay up there right because if i if i get knocked down off that pedestal then i'm no longer going to be the golden child i'm going to i'm going to slip into that scapegoat and we all know don't nobody want to be the scapegoat mm-hmm. <laughs> it is not yes. a pleasant experience to be in that role so there's this pressure right so um so i wanted to point that out cuz a lot of people don't know that aspect of love bombing but it's a really important one because it can be so um so confusing because, and pressure building, because you feel internally the pressure, right? Mm -hmm. Like at some point it no longer becomes about them. You internalize it and you're like, I got to stay up here. I got, you know, I got to do all of these things to maintain this status Mm -hmm. of being on this pedestal, right? So um, in uh, combined with the kind of undermining coercion of mind games, of course, is brainwashing, right? Um, in your family of origin as the golden child and with that religious context that we talked about, which to me, um, my listeners, if you've been listening to all of my podcasts so far, will have already learned about indoctrination that Jenny and I talked about when we talked about sex. Um, so there's this, this added component. You got the brainwashing in the family of origin and the indoctrination in the religious, right? Mm -hmm. Um, And these things combined equal to coercion in order to be able to stay in mom's good graces, Mm -hmm. right? Um, Then as it shifted into being an adult, that's where you started experiencing the undermining. And -hmm. again, because your mom has set herself up um, as this profit role, Mm -hmm. she had put herself in this place where she was superior to you in pretty much every way. Mm-hmm. And that put you in a place where you were really unable to question or challenge, yeah, right, mm-hmm. the things that she was saying. Again, we already kind of talked about that. Um, you had controlling plus isolating plus guilt trips yeah. equals for you no one and nowhere to go, kind of like you talked about with your dad, to have reality checks. You could, there's Mm -hmm. no one you could go to, to bounce off these ideas of like, Mm -hmm. this doesn't feel good. This doesn't feel right. I'm feeling squelched. I'm feeling Mm -hmm. sucked of all my energy. Like all of the, you had nobody. Mm -hmm. Right. So then we add in a combining of highlighting your flaws. Right. And I, and I'm going to put air quotes around Mm -hmm. flaws because they weren't really flaws right at all right like there's 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 this um aspect that a lot of people will experience where they might show anger and then their person gets um gaslights them around being too angry right that's not even what we're talking about here <laughs> like we're talking about like these sure. these things that weren't even flaws being mm-hmm. exaggerated they were just things that are normal things being called flaws or sin right um 
like a desire to have a Taco Bell burrito. Yeah, <laughs> you exactly. talked about that when we were when we were recording yeah. it, right? Like that's wrong. Like don't go get a Taco Bell burrito. Mm-hmm. You know, you're, that's simple or whatever, right? Um, so these things all combined, they, they put you into that scapegoat category, right? Which so then there was a coercion piece that would cause you to want to get back into the favor and receive any type of love or inf- affirmation, which was very sparse. Mm-hmm. Right. I make up most of your love or affirmation was was really golden child pedestal pudding. Right. It wasn't true love and connection and mm-hmm. that kind of a thing. Right. Um, so those are kind of the things that were happening on the gaslighter side as far as as what made you vulnerable to this. Again, um, I, I said it earlier, but I really want to point out again um I wanted to kind of approach this today um, from the the aspect of not necessarily naming what happened, but what would I want to help point out so that you're not vulnerable in relationships moving forward, right? Mm -hmm. So for me, um, like I said, they were survival skills, Mm -hmm. right? That helped you survive but they're not serving you anymore, right? Mm-hmm. So what I would look out for um, are these types of things. So um, following the orders, right, of those who are really, really certain, right? Like I know you mentioned that and I I, I recognize that because that was a vulnerability that I used to have, mm-hmm. right? When people just seemed like they were the expert on things, like I wouldn't really challenge it right? Like, well, you're the expert. Okay. You say, you say you're the expert or you say you're a prophet or you say you're this. Okay. I guess I better listen. Right. Mm-hmm. And I allowed them and I make up, you did too, again, survival, um, allowed them to define how to think, how to feel, how to behave and relied on them for their opinion. So we don't do that anymore. <laughs> right. Like no. we question now, right? Yeah. Like we get curious, not in a defiant, like fuck you way. <laughs> right. Mm-hmm. But then, uh, okay, I see that you seem really certain, right, about this. And I I wonder, you know, why you seem so certain? Like, Mm -hmm. where are you getting your information from? Or what inspired you to to say that? Or, Mm -hmm. you know, getting question, um, questioning them, getting curious and questioning. um, And then giving ourselves permission to say, you know what, I'm going to feel what I'm going to feel. Right. Um, So for me, the next point would be that the fallout was so great from any conflict that you would, um, kind of have with your mom by standing Mm -hmm. up for yourself, um, that you learned to fall in line to what you knew would please the other person Mm -hmm. to help you avoid conflict. Right. Mm -hmm. So that's what we want to watch out. We call that people pleasing, right? Mm -hmm. Again, survival, survival coping mechanism, no shame. Mm -hmm. And to be healthy, to be in our power, to have healthy relationships, we, we try to not do that. We try to say, you know what? I don't like conflict. I, hello. I don't like conflict. <laughs> I'm with you. I don't like it. And I didn't even experience what you did. Um, and I try not to shy away from it in order to stay in my truth, right? Like I made a promise to myself that I will never abandon myself ever again. Right. And if that means I have to be in conflict with somebody in order to speak my truth, I'll do it. Yeah. Right. And then the last things, um, you know, all of these things caused you to unknowingly allow your gaslighter to define for you how to live, right? Mm-hmm. Down to the things you would eat. 
Uh And um, I would love to move. Well, before I do that, I'm going to take that one straight into the set your alarm. But before we do that, um, I just want to ask you, like, how did that resonate? Did that seem to to kind of fall in line of your experiences? Did I get anything wrong or did I miss anything you think? Or what what are your responses to that? Yeah, no, I think those are all spot on. And um, yeah, no, I really appreciate you reflecting that back. And I think also another thing that came to mind as you were talking about it is um, that's been really important in learning, you know, so this isn't replicated or, um, you know, I don't mm-hmm. ever fall into it again is learning the concept of boundaries and which yes. I didn't know about. And like, I have a right to have boundaries and loving yes, somebody do. doesn't mean that you don't have boundaries. Like doesn't mm-hmm. matter how much you love them. In fact, the most loving thing you can do to, for the other person, not just to love yourself, but to love yep. them is to have boundaries. And yep. as a narcissist, I was continuing to give her her narcissistic supply, which she yep. could then, you know, she was like feeding off of that and she was never going to yep. stop. I had to nope. physically remove myself. And that was actually the most loving thing, not just for myself, but for her. So she didn't yep. still have that, that, you know, person to continue to do these um, narcissistic behaviors with. So yeah, no, everything yep. you said was really Love that. Good, good, good. Um, so I could geek out about boundaries all day. I love it. Yeah. Gaslighting <laughs> boundaries and values are my three favorite things to talk about mm-hmm. and coach on. Mm-hmm. Um, and one of the things I've been on a kick on lately is it's, I'm, <laughs> I'm such a word nerd um, because I believe the, the right word is so important. And when we're talking about boundaries, I'm just going to give this to my listeners real quick as a bonus, <laughs> like set your alarm thing, is um, understanding that boundaries are basically requirements. We don't make demands of people. We do get to have requirements, right? So for example, in order to be in relationship with somebody else, I require ABC. For me, my number one thing is mutuality. I require mutuality in every relationship. So if I have someone who's just kind of a friend that I hang out with every once in a while, I expect that mutuality. If it's somebody who, right, like intimate partner, I expect, so what do we require it's just a, to me a, a great way to to conceptualize boundaries. We get to mm-hmm. make requirements. Mm-hmm. Doesn't mean we're mean. Doesn't mean we're expect too much. You don't have. Yeah. You can say, okay, that's a lot of requirements. Peace them out. Okay, <laughs> that's the most loving thing. Like you said, for me and you, this is what I require. If you can't or don't want to meet those requirements, we're not meant to be friends, business partners, intimate partners, whatever. Yeah, exactly. And that's the case with my mom now in that, you know, mm-hmm. if there are certain things that she starts to try and say, which she hasn't done for mm-hmm. quite a while, but when I Good. first broke free, you know, she would try and go back into saying these things. And mm-hmm. it's like, uh, you know, I really had to say, well, this is a requirement that I have that if I'm yes. gonna be having lunch with you, if I'm going to talk to you, or if I'm going to have an interaction with you, um, mm-hmm. I need you to not go there. And if you do, then, then yep. I'm going to leave or I'm not going to get together next time. Good for you. Yeah. Good for you. All right. So let's see how we can turn this into some tools for my listeners as we set our alarm. If you can relate to today's topic, I wanted to give you three things in setting your alarm. Number one, and as Mary did earlier, so powerfully, reach out, or as she said so powerfully, reach out to a safe friend or maybe sister, <laughs> sibling, something, mm-hmm. helping professional. That can be a therapist, a coach, a layperson, um, whoever that might be. Make sure they're safe. Or even a domestic violence center. 
Um, so to me, if this were an intimate partnership, this would definitely be a case for domestic violence, mm-hmm. right? So you could actually go get free counseling and get, have a safe place to stay if you needed it. There, there are usually one in every major city and you can find ways to contact them anonymously, um, and untraceably. Okay. Um, the second thing that I wanted to point out, actually, I want to back up for one second. Not only is it helpful, it is my very strong belief that no one should have to go through this alone, right? Getting out. It is so, so hard to get out of relationships like this. You should not have to do it alone. And it takes bravery. I know it's scary. What if they're not safe, et cetera, et cetera. But having and finding that safe person can be the absolute game changer because it often takes multiple attempts to leave an abusive relationship, Mm -hmm. right? Number two, I would say start keeping track of things safely. So there are different apps and different things that you can use where people won't be able to access it and see what you've written down. Um, There are other ways Uh, Again, a lot of those people in tier number one or (laughs) point number one can help you with figuring out how to keep it, um, keep track of things safely. But I think it's really important that you do um, mainly in this. When something happens, especially if you start to stand up for yourself and ask for things, watch the reaction, right? Because that's when we can start to see, okay, whenever I ask for this need to be met, whenever I ask for this, whenever I stand up for myself and say, don't be mean to me, don't hit me, don't call me names, don't, you know, control me, whatever we might be saying, uh, if they kind of push back even harder and are more controlling and more demanding and more gaslighting, this is a very important way to be able to keep track of that so that we can reassure ourselves that we're not making ourselves up because trauma brain has a really hard time remembering. So if we're Mm -hmm. able to keep track of it, we have basically an evidence list. Okay, look, when I did this, this is what happened. When I did this, this is what happened. Contrary, when I agreed with them, they were nice, right? So you you can start keeping track and then you have this evidence list, okay? And then number three, I know this won't be hard, but start trying to ask yourself, if I were free to be me, I'd fill in the blank. I'd want this. I'd feel this. I'd ask for this. I'd not allow this. I would do this differently. And as you do this, I think it's really important, especially if you're in the thick of it, Give yourself permission to not act on what you discover right away, right? So if you were to say, if I were free to be me, I'd move out of my mom's house, right? Like if we feel like we have to do that today, we're going to push that away. But if we say, I'm just trying to get curious about what I'd want, that it can free us up to actually connect with our knowing, connect with what we need and what we feel. And that's the main point. When we're in this type of a situation, we're often disconnected from our deepest, truest self, and we need Mm -hmm. to reconnect to ourselves, okay? So, um, Mary, thank you so much for coming on to my podcast today. I'm wondering if you could end with just a little snippet of encouragement Mm. to my listeners. Sure, yeah. Um, I know when we were talking before, you asked about um, what I would have said to my, my past self would that yes. be the kind of thing? Yeah. Yes. What would you have so, said to your 26 year old self? I mean, I would have said to my 26 year old self that like all, all those things about you aren't true, mm-hmm. first of all. Um, and then I would have said that there is another life that you can have and that's a good life. 
And Mm -hmm. it doesn't mean all the things that my mom has told me that it means. And I would also tell her, I think lastly, just that, you know, these expectations that my mom is, is saying I can do, but I'm choosing to not do Mm -hmm. are not actually possible. And that would have been so liberating to know that what is being asked of me is not actually possible. It's not that I'm rebellious. It's not that I'm like defective. You're being asked to do something that's impossible. And that would have just been so liberating. Um, But I just didn't realize. I just thought, I guess I need to try harder. That's so good. I love that so much. Thank you for sharing that. Mm-hmm. All right. My listeners, if you would like to come on and share your story, if you would like me to deconstruct some things for you and help you understand what you went through in a relationship, what you are going through in a relationship, I would love to invite you to click on the link in the show notes and let me know. Just send me a note. Say, hey, I want to be on your podcast and we'll get things going. And thank you again, my listener, for listening to today's episode. If you found it helpful, please leave a review and subscribe. And if you think others would benefit from it, please share it. And remember, it's not about becoming who you want to be. It's about awakening to all that you already are. And once again, so powerful and potent today, the anthem of our podcast, Not Today. We got